Okay, welcome to church this morning. Uh, whether you're in the building or on one of our online platforms, a very big welcome to you on this special Sunday. Every Sunday special, right. Um, while I'm talking to you, you can be filling out um, online Connect cards. Um, if there's anything you'd like to communicate with us, if we don't have your details yet, um, then you might like to um, share those with us in an online Connect card. Um, and also make sure that you're checked in. So if you're here in person, make sure you're checked in to the in-person service. If you're online, uh, make sure that you are uh, checked in as well so that we can tell that you are watching us or you can just put something in the chat if you'd rather do that. But we'd just love to know who was worshipping with us today. Um, offering, we don't send round a bucket anymore. Gone are the days of touching things and sharing things like that. So we have um, an offering container at the back of the church if you would like to use that on your way out. Or you can give by direct credit, which is sort of the easiest for most people to do these days. But uh, make sure you set aside your offering and pop it in. Uh, coming up this week, we have team night on Wednesday, Wednesday the 20th. Everyone say Wednesday the 20th. Yes, well done. That's this week. Um, at 7pm we're having a team night here at the church. So if you're on a team in any way, so that means cuppa, check-in, like all of those type of things, any type of team that you're on, um, our tech team, dream stream team, um, everybody needs to come along to the team night. If you're not on a team but you would love to be, so that's kind of everyone really because we all would love to be serving. Um, make sure you come along because we'll be talking about some of our ministries that you can get involved in. We'll be doing a little bit of training in our teams, that type of thing. So make a note of that in your diaries um, Wednesday at 7pm here. Um, we have a special preacher this morning. Just give you a little bio. Uh, for anybody who hasn't been around the church a long time, um, Tom Poss is going to be bringing us the word this morning and... Whoop, Closing out our series in uh, parables, um, just to give you a little bit of info about Tom, he is at Bible College, so working his way through part-time, um, supporting himself by working a part-time job as well. He's part of church council, he's been involved in church, uh, church leadership, true, um, but not what I meant to say, uh, youth leadership for very many years, um, been part of ministry school and is on our ministry leadership team as well. So that just puts Tom into a little bit of context for when he uh, brings the word for you a little bit later. Um, he's arguably the handsomest preacher and also my son. So totally unbiased view there, but um, we're really excited to hear what Tom's going to bring to us this morning. Um, that's all... Everything else is included in your online newsletter that you will have got. If you're not getting the newsletter, it's because we don't have your email address. So make sure you let us have that if you would like to be receiving that. If you think you've given us your details and you're not getting the newsletter, let us know because we might just have you uh, tagged wrongly in our database. So uh, make sure that you're getting that because that's all the information that you need to know about church life is contained in that. Um, so just before we pray, I'd just like to say, oh, I've got three minutes left. Wow. Um, I'd just like to say that um, I'd just love 
listening to how different we all are when we pray, the different words that we use for God um, and how, you know, how we, we pray, the different styles of prayer that we have. And I, I figured God like, is the same. He would get really excited. And um, some people are super passionate in their praying and, you know, get very worked up. Um, that's not me. You won't hear that from me this morning. But what you will hear, I hope, is an absolute conviction that comes from the very deepest part of me that God is listening to our prayers when we pray and that he is already moving on our behalf. Um, and that is what I absolutely believe. And I, I believe I have a little picture in my mind of God, you know, in the busyness of heaven, in all the things that are going on in heaven saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, South Baptist Church, they're praying, they're talking to us right now. Oh, they're talking about Vaughan. He's one of my special ones. Oh, they're talking about Jack. I love how excited Jack is about his eye. That type of thing. I really, I really think, sorry, that stream team has just lost you up there. <laughs> but that's what I think happens. Like, Jack is loved by God, and God is so excited about how excited Jack is about the healing that he's had in his eye. And God is so excited about Vaughan, who is one of our senior people, who was in very dire straits this time last Sunday and has... Uh, had an amazing healing and recovery in his body. Um, and, you know, um, Chris and Diana got married here yesterday and God is excited about that journey. And he's also uh, with us in our struggles in the things that aren't quite that exciting, but they're just tough. And God is inclining his ear to us right now and he's leaning in and he's saying, these are my special ones. I love when they pray. So let's pray together, shall we? God, we thank you that you are the Lord of our life. God, we thank you that you love us so very much and that you get so excited about the good things that happen to us. God, we don't understand everything about prayer. We don't understand much. But we know that you call us to prayer and that as we bring our precious ones before you and we, we lay them at your feet, God, that you can work a miracle in people's lives. God, we thank you for Vaughan. God, we thank you for the incredible healing that has taken place in that man. God, we thank you for his faithfulness and his gratefulness. God, we thank you for Jack. God, we thank you for the way that you are restoring his sight, for everything that you're teaching him, for everything that you're teaching us. God, we thank you for Chris and Diana as they start out in their marriage together. God, we thank you for the exciting time that that is for them. And God, we think of others who are perhaps not at that stage in their marriage who are, are struggling and having a tough time. And God, we know that you're in that as well, that you'll be their strength, that you'll be their comfort, that you'll be their resource. God, we pray for our church. God, we pray for your protection over us as we've stepped out again and taken on pastor number four, making a statement in our community, making a statement to the enemy. God, we know that we can trust you to protect us. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the exciting times when we know that you're with us that you're working on our behalf. 
And God, we thank you for the dark times where we can't see you, but we know that you're there. God, we thank you for this morning, for the word that you will bring, for the words that you've given Tom to share with us this morning. And God, I pray that they will be a word in season for each one of us, probably very differently to each one of us. But uh, God, we know that that you have a plan for each one of us through uh, what we will learn together this morning. And God, we thank you uh, for everything that you've ever done for us and everything that you are. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the powerful name of your Son, Jesus. God, we thank you that it is a name higher than any other name. It is a name that commands so much authority, commands so much respect, commands so much worship and glory and honour. God, would you help us to, to attend our ears to your word this morning, to listen to what your Son has to say to us through the Gospel of Matthew. Would you help us to hear what you have to say and to, to lend an ear to the words that you want to speak to us this morning? God, we thank you that you've loved us first and we love you back. In your mighty, mighty name, amen. Amen. Nice to see you all, everybody. Good to see everyone here. Um, I'd just like to echo uh, Pastor Jackie's warm welcome to all of you here today and to, to anyone who's on the stream as well. I'll say it. Pastor Mum, Pastor Mum, I'm twice the pastor's kid that I, I used to be these days. Dad's just come on stuff. Pastor Dr. Dad has just come on stuff. So we're hearing that one a little bit as well, hopefully. Uh, rightio, so uh, as Pastor Mum said, I'm finishing off the, the series on parables that we've been in for the last couple of weeks. Uh, we heard from Lauren, uh, from Pastor Lauren, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, who was talking about the parable of the lampstand. So as Christians, um, we shine Christ, we reflect Christ, we, we show Christ to the people around us like a lamp shows light to the world around it. And we also heard from Pastor Rob last week who was uh, talking about being bold with our relationship with God, um, coming to Him confidently but not arrogantly, using the parable of the, the persistent widow and uh, the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector praying in the temple. So I'm going to be finishing off the series by reading... Uh, reading to you from Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. That's really boomy, isn't it? Was it better up here, Brad? Maybe? Okay, let's do it. Sorry, Ben, I've just ruined all your angles. Getting told off. Crikey. Okay, anyway, that's all right. I'll just have to put up with it. So anyway, open up to Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13 uh, in your Bible, if you have it with you. Uh, If not, it's going to be on the screen behind me there. Um, So we're going to be looking at the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the ten virgins. So this is part of Jesus' final teaching to his disciples before he goes to the cross, before they have the Passover and and he's betrayed and he goes to the, the cross and dies. So anyway, let me pray before I read the word this morning. Gracious God, I just ask that you would give me a clear thought and clear speech this morning as I am preaching from your word. Uh, God, would you prepare all of our hearts to hear what you have to to say to us? And God, would you help us to be ready to hear your voice? Would you help us to be ready to to hear what you have to say to us this morning? In your son's mighty, mighty name, amen. Rightio, let's read from Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. Jesus was saying this, 
At, the time, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps and, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So, I've done something very stupid in the last couple of weeks. And now, I'm just going to tell you right now, if I hear someone say, what now? Or uh, anything like, maybe just tell us when you've done something smart that might be just quicker and easier for, for everyone, then I'm just going to be out to my car and go on. <laughs> I'm going to be, be leaving. No, uh, I'm joking. I've, I've done something very silly, though. Uh, I have a, a really good friend uh, named Tim who's in, who's in Bendigo, and uh, he likes making a lot of, uh, lot of bets. He likes uh, betting people a lot of things. Not normally money. It's normally exercise or weight loss or something like that. He'll get into a competition with a few friends of how much weight they can lose or uh, how, how far they can run in a certain period of time. Anyway, he made a bet with, with some of his friends up in Bendigo about a month ago and he, he lost the bet. He didn't run as far or lose as much weight. I don't know what the bet was. But then sort of a few days after uh, I'd heard that he lost the bet, into the little Facebook group message that we've got with, with a few of um, the boys, he said... Uh, so the, the punishment for losing his bet was doing an, an eight-kilometre fun run. Uh, would any of you boys be interested in doing this eight-kilometre fun run? And, you know, in came the, the couple of sort of responses of, oh, we'll see how I feel, maybe, oh, maybe I won't do the run, but I might come down and, uh, you know, see you that weekend. And I've just thought to myself, you know, I'm full of, you know, New Year's resolution gusto and, and whatever. I'm just like, yeah, go on, I can run eight kilometres. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's run eight kilometres. So I said yes to, to running eight kilometres. And now, it may come as an absolute shock to you, but I cannot run eight kilometres right off the bat. I know, like, I mean, I keep it pretty tight. Keep it pretty tight. And by it, I mean uh, the shirts that I normally wear. I keep them pretty tight. <laughs> Whenever I wear a button-up shirt, it's like Russian roulette. Some of those buttons do not know if, if that's their time. Uh, I can't run eight kilometres, you know, no, no surprise there. Um, I ran the, the other day, I did three kilometres and I was, was about to, to keel over. So there's quite a bit of preparation that's going to have to go into me running eight kilometres. I have to actually make sure that I'm properly prepared and ready for this, this run. Um, and it would be mighty, mighty silly if I rocked up on the day having done no preparation at all, having not prepared in the slightest and then just tried to do it. I'd probably get three kilometres in, like I, I did the other day, and, you know, just, just stop. I'd probably just, just fall over, actually. I, I wouldn't make it around the course. So the parable that I've read to you today is all about being ready. 
It provides two scenarios for us to consider. Scenario one, we are ready for Jesus' return. And scenario two, we aren't ready for Jesus' return. The parable of the ten virgins is aimed at encouraging Jesus' followers to be ready for his return, which is a bit of a theme in Jesus' teaching as well. He often tells a story much along the lines of, the master has gone away, so what do the servants get up to? Are they responsible and they anticipate his return? Or are they irresponsible and think that they'll have time to get right before the master returns? So the characters are introduced to us in the first verse of this parable. You know, Jesus, master storyteller, he knows how to tell a a good story. And so he gives us the the main characters straight away. So we see that we have the ten virgins and we have the bridegroom. So the bridegroom is Jesus, obviously. It's sort of obvious enough to us in hindsight, but maybe not so obvious for the disciples who are listening to this story. I mean, this is getting told before Jesus has even died yet, let alone you know, sort of needs to come back. He hasn't gone anywhere yet. The virgins are a bit of an interesting case, though. They could probably represent a couple of different groups. So they could potentially represent those who are inside the church versus those who are outside the church. Um, But I really enjoy reading it uh, a little bit of a different way um, as sort of representing those inside the church versus those also inside the church as well. Um, A couple of chapters earlier in Matthew, we see the story of another wedding. Uh, People are being invited to this wedding, and it's really a representation of the gospel going out and inviting in those who are far off from God. This parable in Matthew 25 isn't inviting anyone in. These characters have already accepted the invitation, and even better yet, they're actually involved in the, the wedding procession that's about to happen. So this is what makes me feel like, although you could make it about Jesus' followers in the world, um, I feel like it's about two different categories of Jesus' followers here. And it certainly gives the parable a lot more edge as well. These people are saying, I'm a Jesus follower, but you're saying that being in church isn't necessarily my ticket to heaven? That wearing a cross necklace and a WWJD bracelet isn't enough to to get me into heaven. There seems to be something more than just this box ticking that is happening here, something more than just accepting the invitation. These virgins are involved in the wedding. They've said yes, they've checked the right box, but somehow a few of them still miss out. So verses 2 to 4 really help to set the scene and let you know right away what this parable is going to be about. So you have the foolish ones and you have the wise ones. Here are your heroes, here are your villains. Here are the ones to to copy, and here are the ones to avoid. So what actually sets them apart? We find the answer to that one in verse 4. It says this, The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The wise ones took oil in jars. The oil is the key ingredient which sets apart the wise from the foolish. If you remember Pastor Lauren's sermon from a couple of weeks ago, then you'll remember that lamps are a little bit different nowadays as, they, uh, as opposed to what they used to be. You used to have to use oil as a fuel source uh, so that the flame wouldn't burn out the actual light source. So if the wick was the light source, the flame would be feeding off the oil rather than off the actual wick itself. 
Um, some translations of this passage use the word torch in place of uh, lamp, which really helped me to, to sort of wrap my head around why oil would be helpful. Um, sort of imagining an Indiana Jones style, sort of rip your shirt off, wrap it around a stick, that, that sort of torch. And so you'd keep dousing the torch in the, uh, in the oil, which meant that it would stay lit for longer. It wouldn't sort of burn up the cloth. The torch apparently would begin to go out almost immediately without the help of any oil. It would, would start burning itself out straight away. So this is my first point for this morning. And all three of these sound pretty similar, so you're going to have to pay very close attention. You must be ready to enter the kingdom. You must be ready, capital ready, to enter the kingdom. So what does the oil in this story represent? So what does being ready actually look like? I mean, Tom, come on, you just insulted uh, church attendance and you just insulted early 2000s Christian culture. I mean, what's going to make me get into heaven if it's not a WWJD bracelet? So like I said, cross necklaces, going to church, they're helpful in making us ready uh, for Jesus' return. But ticking off the boxes isn't the entire solution for being properly ready for Jesus to come back. It has to go further than just this one-and-done sort of Christianity that we're seeing here, this box-ticking mentality that we sometimes get ourselves into. The oil represents the genuine journey toward Christ-likeness, becoming more and more like Christ every single day, making that pursuit of Christ-likeness the reason for doing all those seemingly box-ticking Christian sorts of things reading our Bible to become more and more like Christ today than I was yesterday. Wearing, you know, Christian paraphernalia, the cross necklace, the WWJD bracelet, the shirt with the the Bible verse on it, to become more like Christ today than I was yesterday. Engaging in Christian community, your small groups, coming to church, logging on online, to become more like Christ today than yesterday. This isn't about works, though. This is about the work of grace in our life through the Holy Spirit. So not becoming more like Christ through our own striving and our own determination, but becoming more like Christ because the Holy Spirit is changing our desires from the inside out to align with Jesus's. This is probably why some people read this passage as the oil representing grace or the oil representing the Holy Spirit. And it's not completely wrong here. Like, I mean, I wouldn't even say that it's too far off the, the reservation. But I just don't think that these days those two ideas hold the, the same amount of weight as they used to. So the following parable in Matthew 25, so the, the one after this one, in Matthew 25, 14 to 30, um, is the parable of the talents. And it seems to serve this purpose of fleshing out, um, uh, fleshing out this readiness um, showing that the one, one and dunning Christianity, sort of one and dunning grace, one and dunning the Holy Spirit is not the answer to being ready, but growing and increasing and making more of those is the point. The carrying out the Master's decree in His absence rather than just worrying about ourselves. This isn't the only way to, to read that, uh, that following parable, of course, um, but I can definitely see how it fleshes out that idea when you're, you're reading the two sort of one after the other. So imagine if in training for this run that I was talking about just before, I ran only once in preparation. 
So I got out of bed one morning, ran for a couple of kilometers, and then just pronounced myself ready. Just came back home, had a shower, I said, yep, ready for the, the race now in a couple of months. Do you think that that would be enough practice for me? Do you think that I would be ready enough to do that? Brock's nodding. Gee, your game. Ebony's shaking her head. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Uh, do you not think that to run eight kilometers, I would have to become like someone? I would have to become like someone who would be able to run eight kilometers. So likewise, in order to get to heaven, we have to be journeying towards the likeness of someone who is fit for heaven. Being ready for heaven looks like this journey toward Christ-likeness. If you want to be ready for the bridegroom, then you must continue becoming more like Christ. You must be ready to enter the kingdom. You must be ready to enter the kingdom. Okay, so we've seen what makes the wise girls in this story so wise, and it's the fact that they have oil and the foolish girls don't. But admittedly, we have to give the foolish girls some credit here. I mean, they, they thought it through. They had a plan. Surely the wise girls would show some pity and lend some oil to them, right? I mean, surely they'd do the Christian thing and be prepared enough for them as well as, uh, as, well as the foolish ones too. But let's read from verse 6 here. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. How rude and uncaring and unchristian is that? I mean, I thought this Christianity thing was supposed to all be about being nice and sacrificial and generous. What's all this about being stingy and not giving some people who need oil some oil? So what you, what you have to remember is that this wedding procession is happening in the, the middle of the night. You know, the, the bridegroom's rocked up in, the, in the, the midst of the night. Everyone's asleep. It's the sleeping time, but the bridegroom's here. It would be an absolute catastrophe if everyone's lamps went out because the wives girls tried to share some oil to the foolish, share some oil with the foolish. So it's unclear whether the, the wise girls here are genuinely concerned that there's not going to be enough oil to go around or whether they're just feeding some line because they're angry that the foolish girls are prepared better. But the fact remains is that it's not enough for just five of these virgins to be prepared for all of them to be admitted into the banquet. They all had to be prepared. So this is my second point for this morning. You must be ready to enter the kingdom. You, capital, not capital U, but capital Y-O-U, must be ready to enter the kingdom. It's not enough to rely on the readiness of others to count as you being ready. It's not enough to rely on the readiness of others to count as you being ready. The readiness of your parents doesn't mean that you are ready for heaven. The readiness of your pastors doesn't mean that you are automatically ready for heaven. The readiness of your small group doesn't mean that you are automatically ready for heaven. So back to my running adventures again, it would be absolutely absurd if I relied on my friend Tim to prepare on my behalf for me. So you can imagine this afternoon after church, there I am, kicking back, 
just having a relax, stuffing a few KFC chips in my face. Uh, and then I get a message from Tim that he uh, has run five kilometres and he's, you know, preparing well and, and working really, really hard. Um, I say KFC chips because I promised Zach Ingram that I'd go to Pepsi Max. So I'd go to Pepsi Max. I'd go to KFC and get a Pepsi Max freeze. Apparently they're, they're really, really good. So if you see me there, that's the reason I'm not being unhealthy. I'm just fulfilling a promise that I made to someone and I don't want to be a liar. So got to do it. I'm just... I'm, I'm as upset as you are, really. Uh, so you can imagine me, like, not doing any work at all to prepare, and Tim is, you know, out running, you know, every other day, preparing, working hard, and I just say to myself, man, I'm going to be so ready for this race. I'm going to be in such good shape for this race. I'll just ask Tim for some of his endurance on the day, and that'll see me through. I'll just ask Tim for some of his stamina and his mental fortitude, and that'll, that'll see me through. That'll be enough for me too. Um, given the way that I know both me and Tim are, are preparing for this race, we're barely going to be able to make it um, around the course for ourselves, let alone uh, make it around the course for the other person as well. And this goes for our Christ- the Christians in our life also. Your parents can barely save themselves, let alone you as well. Your small group can barely save themselves, let alone you as well. Your pastors can barely save themselves, let alone you as well. And trust me, they are trying so desperately to see each and every one of you come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. I would go as far as to say that the Christians in your life cannot even save themselves. They can't even save themselves. They are all relying on the finished work of Jesus to save them. They are relying on someone else to save them. So what makes they think what oh my goodness. So what makes you think they stand a chance at saving you as well? If you want to be ready for heaven, then you need to be the one ready for heaven. You need to ask forgiveness for your sin. You need to accept Jesus' saving death and resurrection for yourself. You need to enter into a saving relationship with Jesus for you. Are you relying on the readiness of someone else to be your preparation as well? You must be ready to enter the kingdom. So most parables seem to have something of a bit, sorry, pardon me, something of a a bit of a shock factor to them, something to make the listener do a double take and and hear a lesson that they uh, that they need to hear. So it'd be like if I was um, was telling a story. Um, about how I was caught speeding and the officer pulled me over, but instead of writing me a ticket for speeding, the officer wrote himself a ticket for speeding. You know, that's not what you expect to hear. You expect to hear that, that I've got a fine rather than the officer has a fine. Um, and so this parable carries that same sort of, of shock value um, to, the, to the readers or to the listeners um, in that day. So look with me to verse 10 there. But while they were on their way to buy the oil... The bridegroom arrived. The virgins who already went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day nor the hour. So typically, in a wedding like this, the virgins we are hearing about would have been friends of the bride. 
they would be like the other bride, they'd be like the bridemaids that we have in our, our weddings today, is basically what that's, what that's saying. And although the worlds of the bride and the groom overlap in very amount, varying amounts from married couple to married couple, I think it's bizarre that the groom allows five of the bridesmaids in and then claims to not know the other half of the group. It's also kind of weird that this is a wedding without a bride. I don't know whether you noticed, there's no bride in this story. Probably explains why half the people weren't prepared. Um, That's just a bit of an aside anyway. So the fact that the groom claims to not know half of the group of the bridesmaids leads me to believe that maybe this is a bit of a, a teaching point. Maybe a point is trying to be made here. So we see half the bride's party locked out of the wedding over something so simple as not being ready. And in real life, I mean, we probably wouldn't see that extreme level of sort of punishment being dealt out to people who just weren't prepared for, even for something like a wedding. Um, surely the door could be opened again. Surely we'd unlock the door, let them in, and if you're that afraid of someone breaking into a wedding and, I don't know, causing a ruckus, you could just lock the door again. You know, you know these people, surely. But this is a story trying to convey a truth about the kingdom of heaven. This isn't real life. And the truth is this. There will be a time when it will be too late to get ready. There will be a time when the kingdom will become inaccessible to those who aren't prepared. So in verse 11, we see the polite inquiry of the virgins at the door. Lord, Lord, open the door for us. If you are an attentive student of Matthew's gospel, then you'll recognize this language from earlier in the book. So on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23, Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, and this is exactly what he said to the, the five virgins who are unprepared, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Lord, Lord, you invited me to the wedding, remember? I was carrying a lamp and part of the procession, remember? Or supposed to be. I was preaching sermons to tell people about you, remember? That one's pretty real for me right now. I was leading a small group, remember? I was on the music team, remember? I was on staff at a church, remember? I sponsored a compassion child, remember? But did you have any oil? Did you grow in your likeness of Christ? Did you allow grace to work on your heart, transforming you in Jesus? Or did you assume that you had time left? Did you rely on others' readiness to be your own? Did you think that you could get it together later? So this is my third and my final point for this morning. You must be ready to enter the kingdom. You must be ready to enter the kingdom. So a fact that is so hard to get around in Christian thinking is the finality of the kingdom. So there's coming a day when time has run out. Ready or not, the doors are locked. 
Inside or out, the doors are going to be shut. But when is that exactly? You know, when's the exact date that it's going to happen so I can, you know, know how to prepare for this? I know when my race is. I can prepare for it and know exactly where I have to be and when I have to be there and how long I've got left. So, so what about the return of Jesus? Like, what do we know? We don't know. We don't know when he's coming back. We don't know when the doors are going to be locked and it's going to be too late. So verse 13 in chapter 25 is a repetition of something that Jesus stated in uh, the previous chapter of Matthew, in Matthew 24. We don't know the day nor the hour. So be ready. So be ready. I'd love to say that time won't run out. I'd love to stand up here and tell you that grace can wait, that Jesus can wait, that you know heaven's going to be put on hold for, for you to, to get your life together and do whatever you need to do. But that's just not what we see in Scripture, and that's not what we're taught at all. Time is going to run out, and you are either going to be ready or you're not going to be ready. So right now is the best time to ready yourself for heaven. You must be ready to enter the kingdom. You must be ready to enter the kingdom. So maybe you've been a Christian a long time. Maybe you've done all the, the sort of box-ticking things and you've heard the Jesus could come back next week, next week speech a thousand times. But I would encourage you again to take stock of your relationship with Jesus. Are you ready? Are you growing more like Christ daily? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you relying on your pastors to be ready for you, your parents to be ready for you, your, your friends, your Christian friends to be ready for you? Or are you actually ready yourself? On the other hand, maybe you've never had a relationship with Jesus. You have no idea if you're going to be ready or not when Jesus returns. And I'd encourage you to speak to one of the, the pastors here or after the service, or to speak to me, or to speak to, to someone who looks like they know what's going on. And we'd love to point you in the right direction. We'd love to give you a Bible. We'd love to connect you with a small group of people who are going to encourage you in this journey and encourage you to grow like Christ more and more each day. To get your oil and to be ready for when the bridegroom returns. Let me pray as we close. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your son and the free gift of grace that is available to us through his death and through his resurrection. God, I know that we, we don't always get it right. I know that sometimes we, we come into church on a Sunday and we're, we're just punching the clock. We rock up to, to serve sometimes and we're just ticking the box. Sometimes we open our Bible, we scan the page, we catch a few words and then we close it again and we just forget. But God, would you give us a hunger to grow more like Christ every day? Would you help us to come to church so that we could learn more about your son? Would you help us to pray so that we could learn more about how to be like Jesus? Would you help us to read our Bibles and to love our neighbours and to do all the things that the Christians are supposed to do so that we could grow closer to Christ, so that we could be made ready for when he comes back? God, we thank you that we don't have to be perfect for any of this to, to work. We don't have to be, you know, 
100% the perfect person looking exactly like Jesus to be ready for heaven. But God, would you help us to grow closer to him every day? Would you help us to have that desire to love you and to love our neighbors more and more each day? God, we thank you for loving us first. We thank you for the saving death and resurrection of your son, Jesus. And we pray all these things in your mighty, mighty name. Amen.